Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Morning. My name is Dave. It's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here at Harvest. And this week, I was all set to preach, and early in the week, I got a message from an old friend. Uh, every year, I get together in a different city somewhere in the world with a group of five other pastors. We grew up together. We got saved around the same time. We all became pastors. And every year, no matter where we are in the world, we gather in one place, and we spend a week together praying and eating and catching up and studying. And he's been a part of that group. We are I think we're on our 25th trip or something like that. Um, But he was in town for a wedding and said, as your birthday gift, would you like me to take the pulpit for you? And it was a crazy week, and I said, yes, please. He's a great speaker and a a treasured old friend. Pastor Young Kim serves as lead pastor at Grace Covenant Church in Philadelphia, a multi-campus church. And he is in pretty much the same life stage I'm in, thinking about succession and what comes next. And uh, he is here to bring the word of God for us. I think you're going to be encouraged by what he shares with us today. So Pastor Young, as he comes up, let's give him a welcoming hand. Okay, Uh, great to see you. I think the last time I spoke here on a Sunday was at a different different high school. You guys move around in the high schools, huh? Uh, And uh, it was... Probably before COVID, it's a privilege for me to be here. I am from Philadelphia, but I, was, I grew up here in the Chicago area. I went to Niles West, uh, played soccer. I wasn't good, but I was pretty good. Uh, I, I, I still play. I don't know if our, our brother, uh, you know, uh, I forgot his name. Can you believe it? You know, Ken, Chris, yeah. Oh, Lord. What was your name? <laughs> I'm just... I forget a lot of people. Okay, I gotta stop. A miracle might happen today. I, I was told that I could only preach 25 minutes to 30 uh, at, at my church. This is why you probably won't want to come to my church. I preach like 45 to an hour. See right there, you're like, I'm never going to your church. Uh, so I gotta, I gotta go right into this. Uh, so yeah, it's been a privilege and to come here and share with you. We're at the same life stage. Uh, I, I, I've been married 30 years and uh, an empty nester. And really, really thank God for my marriage. I love my wife. She's my best friend. Uh, we get into a lot of fights, but she's still my best friend. Uh, and uh, it's been an awesome marriage. Uh, and thank God that, you know, my kids are following the Lord, and it's been a privilege. And so with that said, we're going to go and talk about uh, this brother named Stephen in the Bible. Okay? And the title of the message is Stephen the Faithful. And we're going to read this text, but it's, you know, it's a lot more involved. If you have some time, please read uh, Acts chapter uh, 6 and 7. But we're going to pick them up at this passage. Uh, here it talks about Stephen as he's introduced. And he says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the uh, providence of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against 
the wisdom uh, the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people uh, and the elders and teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witness who testified. This, this fellow never stopped speaking against the holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that, that this Jesus of Nazareth would, would destroy this place and change the custom of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intensely at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like a face of an angel. Now, as you read later on, they are going to take him, and they're going to take him to a cliff, throw him down the cliff, and actually this whole mob, uh, who most scholars believe was uh, the, you know, the Sanhedrin who allowed Jesus to be crucified, uh, was going to stone Stephen to death. And Stephen becomes the first martyr uh, of the church. And actually the first martyr, if, you know, if you've been in the church world, was not an apostle, but it was this uh, man named Stephen. And so we're going to be looking at it, and we're going to look at it through just these four aspects, his calling, right? uh, his character, the conflict that he ended up, and then his continence. As in this particular passage, it says that he had a face of an angel. And we're going to try to kind of deduce what does a face of an angel look like. So we'll look through these four aspects of Stephen's life. Calling. Uh, I'm going to call Stephen a prototype deacon. And the reason is he's introduced in chapter 6, uh, and it says this, uh, in those days when the numbers of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait slash serve on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Stephen uh, was chosen uh, to serve tables, wait on tables. That's actually the literal translation. And the reason why I'm calling Stephen a prototype uh, deacon is there's the scholars debate, uh, you know, these seven men that were chosen in uh, Acts 7, were they the original deacons, you know, because they were chosen to help out the church in its administrative function. Uh, and then other scholars come in and says, no, the, the office or the, uh, you know, kind of the appointment of deacons didn't get really established into until about a hundred years after the church slowly started forming, where many, many years uh, passed. So I, I don't get into that debate. So I just say, okay, let's call them a prototype uh, deacons. Now, with that said, uh, I just want to share, you know, out of thousands of men, these seven men, and Stephen in particular, was chosen. And uh, if you read about him in Acts 6, as you read, he was a man full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Uh, he was somebody that, you know, seemed like he should be chosen to be a top leader of the church. Uh, but when they chose him out of thousands of men, 
a very responsible person. Uh, they chose him, as I kind of dummied this down a little, to actually take the office of someone who would be in charge of hospitality, okay? or somebody who directs the traffic out there in the parking lot. And uh, it's interesting how Stephen was chosen what seemed like a great leadership potential to do menial task. Now, if you understand the scripture, uh, there was a reason why someone that had wisdom and spirit and faith needed to be chosen because there was a debate between the Hebraic Jews and uh, the uh, Hellenistic Jews, and there was actually almost a racial tension as well as uh, just different conflict that was happening because of the distribution of food. They felt like one was unfairly, you know, met the needs of someone unfairly, amen? <laughs> My English is pretty bad, so follow with me, okay? Uh, and so they, they chose these men, and what they did, it says, is that they actually helped to make sure that the food was distributed fairly, okay? Now, with all that set up, why I want to share that is, a lot of times we think being in the church, it's the big things that make the church function. Like we need... The band. This is a good band, amen? All right, you guys should get into worship. This is a good band, all right? Or we need the preacher, you know? Or we need these men that are charismatic or very good at leading small group. We need the big hitters to make the church function powerfully and do great things. But actually, as you follow the book of Acts, you'll find out that one of the reasons that the church grew was that very spirit-filled men were asked to do what seemed to be menial, small tasks, right? Do not underestimate serving the church in small things faithfully. Stephen enters into the church, and he is full of spirit, full of wisdom, full of, you know, faith, but he's asked to distribute food and do it wisely. And as he does that, as you read through Acts, you find out actually even... Uh, you know, guards of, you know, uh, the, you know, temple guards become Christian. I mean, the priests become Christian. Many great movements happen. And let me just also point this out. I call him the prototype, uh, you know, apostle because in Acts chapter 6, it also goes on to talk about Stephen and it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And this is pretty interesting because he was chosen to basically to be a souped-up hospitality coordinator. Now, I'm not, I'm not downplaying hospitality coordinators. They are very important. It is important what you guys are going to eat for lunch today, amen? Okay? It is very important, okay? Uh, me and Pastor Dave, we were in college, and we were officers in our college ministry, and we got into a huge fight about food, uh, you know, about what we're going to serve uh, at, at, at picnic. Okay, it wasn't me, it was him and this other, uh, other sister, and they were going at it. Once, I think Dave kind of was saying, can we serve something better? And the other one was saying, no, let's serve hot dog. And, you know, and it got really heated, okay? Uh, but you see Stephen doing this wisely. And then in Acts 8, it says that he was used to perform great wonders and signs among the people. Now, again, if you've been following the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that power, signs, and wonder was done by the apostles, right? In fact, the 
next person that was introduced before Stephen that was not an apostle that seemed to have made a big impact into the early church was actually Barnabas through the spirit of encouragement. But the other person that is introduced is Stephen and the seven prototype uh, you know, deacons. And as they were doing these faithful things, they were the first one. Stephen was the first one that was noted to be released in power of signs and wonders. Okay? And I think there's a link. I think there's a link between doing faithful things and small things and how God uses you powerfully more than you can ever imagine. I mean, for example, you know, like let's say you are a, uh, you know, someone who directs the traffic out there. Imagine if you do it with a great heart, with joy, and every person that parks, you're like, Lord, I pray for that family. Lord, I pray for that car. Lord, that they'll go back home. I know you guys do that here, amen? Uh, or, you know, when you're giving out that bulletin, as you're giving that bulletin or those announcements, you're like, Lord, as they receive this thing, may they be filled with the Spirit. You know, just mundane things, that, but you're doing it out of worship and faithfulness. Don't underestimate that God can do powerful things. Some people, I, I, I venture to add, you know, like think that may stay at this church because how they were treated at the parking lot. You know, some people may stay at this church because there's somebody faithfully saying hello to them. They're like, wow, I just feel, feel like this church does hello really well, you know, more than other churches. Uh, I, I share this story all the time, but, uh, you know, I, I talk about, um, I, I do a lot of college ministry, and, and uh, one year, um, there was like a revival that happened in this all girls' campus called Bryn Mawr in the Philadelphia area. And basically, you know, that year, uh, we used to only send out a car and maybe two, three girls from this all, you know, women college would come. But that year, like a van went there and it would get packed, right? And then the van gets packed and then we have to send another car. Like 23 girls, sisters, were coming to our church. And, you know, I thought... I go, wow, I must have gotten to be a more sensitive preacher. Like, maybe I can relate, you know, with people better or something like that. And so I, I thought it was about me until I realized it was about the van driver. You see, there was a, a brother who came to me uh, and said to me, hey, uh, you know, Pastor Young, uh, I serve at my other church, but I'm in a Ph.D. program at the University of Penn. I have no time. I'm really busy. I'm married. I have this, you know, a little girl, but I really want to serve. So, you know, uh, I, I can do something every Sunday morning. I have time early. I can serve because my, my family could come on their own. Is there something you want me to You can let me do anything, right? I love those people, amen? <laughs> Pastors don't get, I mean, I'm telling you, if you go to your pastor and say, I will do anything for this church, he'll faint, okay? And so what happens is he says that, and of course I'm, you know, you know racking my brain because you can tell in his eyes, like, let me do a small thing. I don't have much time, but I'll do it faithfully. And I looked at him, and I prayed about it, and I said, oh, we need a van driver. Nobody wants to be a van driver. Amen? <laughs> so we sent them on the van driving. Guess what happened? Some of you might already heard this story. I said so many places. Uh, what happens is he drives the van so gently. See, I used to send single guys over there hoping that something will happen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> to all-girl school, but these single guys would drive the van, and when, he, when they break too hard, and the girls go, oh my gosh, that's so hard. You know what these single guys used to do? they break harder. Like, why? Why do you do that, right? Well, this man who's been married, 
when the lady said, oh, that was such a heartbreaking, the next stop sign, gentle. Right? When the ladies in the back said, oh, we're so cold, he would turn the heat on, though he's sweating. Right? <laughs> now, this did it. In the winter, around, as, you know, around this time, one of the girls had a sniffly, and he pulled out a Kleenex box, puffs with aloe vera cream on it, <laughs> and handed it over, right? And like these girls are like, you know, like being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And then this one blew them out. When, he, when they came out of this church van, he actually brought a little stool so that these girls don't have to take the full step down. They do the half step. And when they did that half step and came to hear a message, they were already blessed. They were already ready to receive the word of God. I know this sounds simple, but you see Stephen, full of power, full of wisdom, used by God to bring miracles, did faithful things even in the small places. So let me just state what I wrote here. Don't underestimate doing little things for Jesus Christ faithfully. So as Jesus himself said, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the destruction... Whoever sows to please the Spirit uh, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so, I mean, basically Galatians is saying, when, when we do faithful things, God will give us the harvest. Don't underestimate the small faithful service for Christ, especially one that is out of a sacrificial and worshipful heart. It's powerful, right? It healed. It healed the difference between the widows and the division in the church. It can have unexpected results. The church grows not because of the power of preaching this particular situation, but humble, faithful service. The church attracted priests because of this humble, faithful service. It leads to greater blessing. Let's look at his character. Again, in chapter 6, the passages that we read, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Stephen, uh, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So if I analyze here in chapter 6, here's a guy that this is who he was known to be. He was a man full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit again, full of God's grace and power. And, uh, you know, we can analyze, you know, the, the whole spectrum. What does it mean to have a character that's full of spirit, full of wisdom, faith, Holy uh, Spirit, grace, and power? Amen. Sorry. Dry mouth. But that would take too long, and I only have eight minutes. <laughs> It took me too long to tell that other story. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, yeah, thank you. All right, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to focus on 
this word full. Because actually, I think the, uh, Luke is focusing on it. Here's a guy who's described full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, and again, described full of power, this word full. And for me, what that seems to describe, this man manifested the characters, characteristics of Christ. He was a man who lived a full life. Out of him oozed out the fullness of Christ. And as I thought about that, it kind of, kind of did a little theological leap, and I feel like he was a man who really lived what I would call an abundant life. Remember abundant life? Jesus talked about it. He said um, in his passage in John chapter 10, verse 9 through uh, 10, he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and, and, and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full, right? And the question I want to ask you is, what do you and I sometimes think the full, abundant life is? Can you just think about that? What is the full, abundant life? What does it mean that we're full of all that God has for us, right? Full of Christ living in us, right? How, can we, how do we picture this full, abundant life? And I would like to propose to you that most of us here, including myself, have been stained, really, by the American uh, Christian culture, uh, a culture that is very so, I mean, just, uh, you know, inundated with um, consumerism. So maybe this, this might be how sometimes I think I trip into and think, and that's this. <clears throat> you know, a character full of wisdom and grace and, and power that leads to a good family, a full life is a life that has a good family, a good marriage, good health, a good career, some good friends, some good stuff, and then make sure we have some God feelings, right? Now, we, we don't really want abundant or, you know, uh, you know, wealth, health gospel because we know that that is kind of the wrong theology, but I think at least we would say we want the good life, okay, the good life. And I, I don't know if you think this way, but I think many times we feel like, hey, you know what, if I live a life full of the Spirit, and I live a life full of the wisdom, and if I really live a life full of the power, it should get me to this good life where things work out like good for me. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, marriages in the church should be bad, I mean, I I, I tell you, like, I love my marriage. We fight, but I love, I think fighting is a way of communicating, amen? You know, I was doing a marriage counseling, and, and, you know, I said, hey, as long as you don't use physical violence, uh, and you actually get better, you know, a little bit better, that's a way of, communi- that's the, the lowest way of communicating, but a good marriage is good. But as I think about Stephen's life, here's, here's as you examine his life, all right, He was full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of grace, full of power, full of Christ. Uh, And he he waited on tables. He was, in in some ways, I'm kind of dumbing this down, uh, doing lowly administrative things for that church. Uh, We generally know that he was never married. Uh, Most people think, most scholars think he passed in his 30s. He was a young man. Uh, he, He did not serve Jesus for a long time. 
He had a very short life. He had a great mind, as you read in Acts. He had a great mind to debate and to frustrate those who uh, thought they knew the Old Testament, but he lived a very short life. And in fact, his death was very brutal as he was being stoned to death. And you know, a lot of times we don't think that that is the good life. We, I don't know if you do this, we have this thought about God that if we are faithful and living for God and we are doing the right things, that it should land us in this good life that we define. But here's Stephen, he lived his life full of Christ and his characteristic and he ends up not married, short life, and dies a brutal death, right? And I think as those of us who are Christians, uh, we need to kind of think about that. Are we following Jesus for what he can do for us? Or are we following Jesus because he is worthy? Now, I know all of us would declare, yes, you know, I'm following Jesus uh, because he is worthy. Uh, but I think we need to ask ourselves this question. Why? Why are you following Jesus? For what he can give us or who he is? Um, there is a great battle, a biblical worldview. I think consumerism and selfishness just keeps making us think that if we do the right things, we deserve the right things from God. I don't know about your prayer life, but you know, one thing that I realize about my prayer life is that, man, sometimes it is very selfish. I went to uh, <clears throat> this prayer meeting from uh, one of our sister churches, and I was actually physically sick. So when you're physically sick, all you do is think about yourself, amen? Okay, I mean, have you ever been sick and you're like, <gasps> I worry about my wife right now. No, you know, I'm like, well, why is my wife grouchy to me? How come she's not feeding me right, right? I was kind of physically sick. And I went into this prayer meeting, and uh, I, did, I thought this church only prayed for an hour and a half for this prayer. It was two hours long, 30 more minutes than I would like to. And when I got there, uh, I just, all I did was spend time praying for me and, and my physical body. And I was just asking God, Lord, I feel terrible. Can you remove this sickness from me? And then the prayer meeting was going on and on. And then I'm like, man, I've just, I'm, I, okay, I've I got to be a little less selfish. So I started praying for my kids and, you know, that they do well. And then my wife. And then I go, oh, my goodness. I, I feel like all I do is pray for me and my family. That's just like praying for me. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll pray for something bigger. And then I pray for my church, you know. And I start praying that the things will go on. Not, none of this is bad. I'm not saying don't pray for yourself. Don't pray for your family or your church, but it was literally an hour and a half into the prayer meeting when the pastor came up and said, hey, let's pray for the poor. Let's pray for our missionary. Let's pray for what's happening in our country. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, okay, I should, I should pray for those things. And I think many times in our life we pray so much about us and not enough about what God desires and what his kingdom wants. Are we, are we really praying kingdom uh, prayers? Are we praying prayers that are focused on ourselves? All right. Let me uh, actually kind of move a little quicker here and uh, close with this ideal where uh, Jesus, I mean, uh, in this place where it says in Acts chapter 6, it says, all who are sitting 
in the Sanhedrin look intensely at Stephen, and they saw his face was like the face of an angel. So this next one uh, is just kind of playing around with some of you guys. What is the face of an angel? You know, what does it look like to have that face of an angel? So I'm going to throw up some pictures here. Like, uh, do you feel like these guys have a face of an angel? Right, this is the group that Pastor uh, Dave is talking about, and uh, we look pretty good here, amen, all right? Uh, this is probably uh, way before COVID, and uh, spent some time together, and, you know, actually, uh, let's see who looks like a face. I think, actually, if you know Pastor Paul over here, you can't see him, uh, he probably has the most face of an angel look, all right? Well, how about this one? Uh, is this the face of an angel? Now, you guys can't see this. This was when we were a lot younger, when our kids were like angels, amen? But now they're like teenagers, and they act even worse than, you know, and stuff like that. This was a while back, and is this the face of an angel? I'm just showing you pictures, so let me give for it. Some of you will see this next picture and go like, who are they? Some of you will be like, I, I know that person. I can't believe I know these. Are these the face of an angel? All right? Now, if you know, this is, this, it's all blurry here. Over here is Dr. Steve, all right? Uh, and then I just was talking with a dude that uh, he knows this guy named Peter. And then, uh, you know, what's that guy's name? Phil, yes. Uh, and then uh, Paul. And then actually that, the, the, that lady in the middle is my woman. Amen. She does have a face of an angel. Is that the face of an angel? Uh, no, no. I, I think actually these are just face of good friends. What is it talking about as Stephen is called uh, someone with the face of an angel. I think some of that is explained here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua of Nun did not leave the tent. It says Moses spoke to God face to face. And then in John chapter 15, verse 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because servants... Uh, does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I think face of an angel is talking about someone as they live their life, shows the intimacy, the friendship with God, right? Uh, the aroma of God that comes out in their speech, in their attitude, in their calmness. And here it was Stephen being persecuted, but out of his face and out of his speech came the aroma of Christ. All right. Uh, just to kind of wrap this up, I have a friend uh, that uh, I, I asked to come to the Philadelphia area to help plant a church in uh, the Philadelphia area. We have uh, two churches going there, and we, we wanted to start a third one on 2018, right before COVID. He came, uh, was kind of part of our church, and then we sent them out to start a church in the Philly area. Well, we started that church right during COVID, yet him and his wife did an amazing job, and uh, the church is growing, it's flourishing. Uh, Around December of last year, uh, he couldn't eat, and so we were talking to him, he's he's my age, uh, hitting his late 50s, couldn't eat, and then slowly found out that he had cancer of the stomach. And as you know how those things work, uh, he's actually at stage four. And, you know, we've been praying for miracles, and there seem to be some amazing miracles. I don't know if I'm sure you've, you know, had these moments where you're praying and it looks like God was going to do something incredible, uh, but it doesn't go that way. And it goes 
a different way, in a more difficult way. Um, but what's incredible is his church is growing. Uh, even though he is actually battling fourth stage cancer, his church is growing. People are rising up doing faithful things. Whatever they do, it seems like they put more of their faithfulness into it as their pastor is uh, passing away with cancer. Um, we've been praying for him for a year, fasting and praying. Many churches that uh, we work together with, but it's not going well, as some of you probably have experienced this. And, uh, you know, right now, um, he's battling, actually, uh, infections uh, that, you know, is probably going to take him the wrong way. You know, and as I reflect on that, he's only 57. Um, I feel like he can do amazing things um, if the Lord would allow him to continue to live. I'm actually praying that something miraculous would happen in his life, but some of us who are in the medical profession is like, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I see the face of an angel in this brother as he faces death. It is just amazing how he's handling it as he sees uh, death knocking at his door, uh, how he is talking to his children how he's talking to his congregation, how he talks to me, uh, that he isn't bitter at God. He's struggling, but he's not bitter. And he feels like God has his time. And this aroma of Christ just seems to be flowing out of him, blessing all his friends, blessing his children, blessing his wife. And uh, for me, actually, that's definitely a life that is well-lived, even though it feels like it may be a life that may be short-lived. Amen? All right, let's pray. I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment. Uh, I'm just going to ask you just for a moment before Pastor Dave takes over. Um, couple of questions. Number one, are you underestimating faithfulness in the little things? I just was listening to Pastor Dave talk about how the youth group was faithfully serving the children's ministry for a month. That's a miracle. And I think you have a living example of what faithfulness can do for a church. Your faithful service to put up this stage, to break it down, to set up, to break down. I mean, our church has been doing that also for almost 30 years. Is not something that is ignored by the Lord. Can we just pray just for a moment and say, Lord, let the faithfulness of the small things be empowered by you. Lord, we see that in the children's ministry, but Lord, let more of that fall upon harvest. Can you just pray that quickly?
second, uh, I, I like to do this at my church. It may be uncomfortable for you, and if, if it is, you don't have to do it. If you feel comfortable, do you mind just laying a hand on the shoulder of the person to the left or to the right? And let's pray for each other. And can you just pray, Lord, help us to live your abundant life. Open our eyes so that we don't get consumed by the good life that this world portrays. But God, help us to live a life that pleases you. And sometimes it may not be the results that we want. Can we just pray that for each other? Lord, help us to know sometimes following you may not produce the good result we want but you are worthy can you pray for that just pray that for one another lord open our eyes remove the cloud amen you can drop the hands Uh, just pray for us and then uh, Pastor Dave will take over Lord we just uh, lift up harvest we thank you for how you are empowering it by men and women that are doing faithful service for your glory and God we lift up harvest as you move forward that they will live an abundant life as you define it. And God, I pray for all of us in this room as we walk the walk of faith. Sometimes it's not always the good results. But God, I pray that we will show the aroma of Christ through the good, through the bad, and even through the ugly times. Lord, may our intimacy deeply connected with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.